the Askell Leadership Podcast. In this edition of the Trust Askell Podcast, I am joined by Mary Abeasakira, who some of you might know as Mary Rayner. Mary is the Executive Director of Special Educational Needs and Vulnerable Students for Cambridge Meridian Academies Trust, or CMAT, as they're more commonly known. I should just say that if you're listening to this podcast in the car, you have not got something wrong with your wheel bearings. That is a bird in the background that occasionally interrupts Mary. As you'll hear at the end, animals are a passion of Mary's, and they feature in her life and in this podcast. Welcome, Mary. Could you start by giving us a little bit about your background and how you've come to this point of your work with CMAT? How did I get here? Um, It's a bit of a twisted tale. I've spent years working across both special and secondary schools and over that time have developed a knowledge and an understanding of working with a range of children with special needs and, and their parents and their families and staff and teachers who support those young people. And one of the keys for me has been about how you do that in the context of a mainstream school. In doing that role, I then applied for a job in a a special school and was successful, became an assistant head there and then pretty quickly became acting head. That special school became quite successful. And as a result of that, I ended up joining Ofsted and became one of Ofsted's national leads for special educational needs and disabilities. I did that work for a number of years and was involved in the policy writing for the local area inspections for SEND, something I was really keen on and really passionate about because I think it's right that Ofsted look uh, more widely at the provision for SEND through the local authorities. And out of there, I've, I've decided to go back to where my heart lies, working with young people in schools and CMAT were designing a new school and it was too good an opportunity to miss. So I joined CMAT so that I could be the lead for their new school and open that as it it moved forward and be part of the design team and everything else. So as I said, I work for CMAT, executive director, but also currently principal of the Martin Bacon Academy. Fantastic, thank you, Mary. Special needs sometimes exists on the periphery of our vision in education. You're clearly very passionate about it. Why do you think it's so important and what drives you? Because I really believe that every child should have the opportunities of success and they should have the chance to shine. They all have the capacity to shine and the opportunities are often not presented to them. So I really believe that what we need to do is stop looking at children with labels and stop labeling youngsters as a level of need and stop talking about children's difficulties and start talking about their superpowers and the way that they are enabled to be successful. We often hear about children moving towards independence and the reality of that for a lot of our young people is they will not have the opportunity to be entirely independent as life goes forward. But it's really important that what we do is give them the life skills and the opportunities and the knowledge to reduce their dependence on other adults as much as possible. One of the things that has driven me towards CMAT is their belief 
that it's an excellent education and excellent educational practice for all young people. Um, and we have an approach which is as inclusive as we can be around those young people within the right environments for them. We want to be an all, all through inclusive trust and we've been really successful in harboring that approach within our mainstream schools, either through challenging provision, challenging the graduated approach within schools, uh, which I really believe in. Actually, if we're not doing different for young people, we aren't identifying children rightly and therefore we aren't making the next steps appropriately for them. So for me, it's the opportunity to see young people who are challenged by the education system shine despite it as well as because of it. Thank you, Mary. Your passion for that really comes through. Can we just go back to something that you mentioned as you were going through that about labelling children? Is special needs an appropriate label? And what other examples have you got of labels that you think are inappropriate? <laughs> There's an ongoing argument at the moment around the labels that are placed on young people through the census information that the DfE provide. So we have a list of labels that you can give children according to the census data, including other and what other means no one's actually described, but also historic labels such as MLD, moderate learning difficulties, which interestingly, if I started my journey in Brighton and took a child in my car and drove them north, that child's label might change from moderate to severe learning difficulties as we go north to having no learning difficulty at all because the definition of it, MLD is not clear. There is no clarity about it. And we see huge numbers of children labeled MLD and we see huge numbers of children kind of pushed out of the system through this other label, but also talked about as a behavior difficulty. I'm really clear that behavior is a form of communication. And often that communication tells us about an unmet need. And that unmet need might be linked to something, for example, a social, emotional, mental health problem. But it actually might be that the child has not got yet got the capacity or the skill to learn in the way that learning is being presented to them. So it's for us to make those reasonable adjustments around young people's learning not to simply label a child and place them somewhere different. Thank you. Um, what, what kind of numbers are we talking about for children that are labelled other? I mean, it's clearly a, a label that grades with you. It is, and in different local authorities, you can see as many as 8% of children being right. labelled other, which is just a nonsense because other doesn't exist. It's not an anything. Yeah, it's another, unfortunately. Yeah. So you said that you now work for a multi-academy trust. It's fair to say that some multi-academy trusts have been reluctant to take on schools that provide for children with special needs. So why do you think the MAT system should take on such schools? Because MATs are often locally centred. They're trusts that are set in the hearts of communities and actually children with special needs will be siblings of the children of the young people they take into their standard mainstream schools. And it really should be about all children having uh, an equality of opportunity to access really good, 
high quality education on their doorstep. We already know that lots of these young people have to travel miles to go to a special school. So the more inclusive we can be within our mainstream schools and the more provision, appropriate provision rather than alternative provision. And I'm really clear about that label. We often use the word alternative provision as somewhere we put youngsters who don't fit. Actually, what we should be doing is developing that appropriate provision for young people. That could happen on mainstream sites. It could happen within the communities. I've seen some excellent practice out there around appropriate provision. And for us, it's that all children from the same family should have the opportunity to access the same high quality education. So an example of that is, I said I came back to deliver the Martin Bacon Academy. That's actually built on a campus. So the Martin Bacon Academy very proudly shares its site with the North Stowe Secondary College, which is a mainstream secondary school. And, you know, we've managed to open during COVID lockdown, which is a challenge in its own right. But one of the things we've stood dear to is we are one school, one site and one gate. So once COVID restrictions have gone and they're in our past, children will be able to come to school through the same gate, irrelevant of whether they're going to the mainstream secondary or the special school. They will be able to share the same sports facilities, which will be of incredible quality, um, which you wouldn't typically see on a, main, on a special school site. And they will be able to share that access alongside their peers, who they share their community with. Why would trusts not want to develop the reflection of real school life. That being that all of us live in communities, all of us are members of society. And if we can get everyone to appreciate the value of a range of needs within that local community and within society as young people, they are better prepared to do that as they move into adulthood. And everyone is better prepared to become real high quality members of our local communities and local societies. What are the advantages of working for a multi-academy trust rather than say a local authority? I know you started in local authorities as a head teacher and were a very successful one in the local authorities. So why come back to multi-academy trust then? Because I, <laughs> we refer to CMAT as an odd shaped family. And the executives is, is just that, an odd-shaped family. We all have skills and attributes and weaknesses that we can all be accepting of. And as a result, we are stronger for those who stand around us. I'm a very reflective practitioner, as are my CMAC colleagues, and we learn from one another. And it gives you that opportunity to just turn to, you, turn to your colleagues and say, how would you go about that? Is there a better way of doing it? I'm quite renowned for being very child-centred and very able to deal with really challenging young people and engaging brilliantly with families. However, I was never that person who was brilliant at data, who was brilliant at sharing information at websites, school websites, all those sorts of things. Those are the things that a multi-academy trust can give me. They can give me quality assurance. We certainly do lots of work around English curriculum, the maths curriculum, but also around more bespoke opportunities such as developing our emotional well-being and mental health programs across the trust. That means that if children 
are siblings and they go to different schools within a multi-academy trust, they are in receipt of similar. Yes, it will be different, but they are in receipt of a common ethos and a common package and a common vision. And I think that's why it's really important that special schools sit within their local academy trusts, but as part of a wider academy approach rather than just a specialist provision. I think it's a really strong approach to be challenged where young people might be capable of undertaking GCSEs. So at Martin Bacon, if we get to, we haven't got yet, key stage four yet, but if we get to that point and there are young people there who may be on the autistic spectrum, but who could access a GCSE in a particular subject, they will have the opportunity to do that locally to us and therefore will have the best outcomes that we can give them. There's something there about using a teaching and learning team that works across the trust. There's also something in there about a central team as well, some support. Is that fair? Yeah, so we have our central team of HR, IT, finance, and the quality of knowledge that those people centrally have to support small schools with. Special schools are often small schools. So to have such a a quality team sitting behind such a small school is something you normally wouldn't be able to fund yourself just as a single school. But also the quality of IT knowledge and provision that we gain and the HR backup is all so important to us. And that has, as a special school, we have had to kind of make people rethink that. We're obviously the first special school in our multi-academy trust. And people have had to look at what that means for funding and how that looks different in special schools. But actually they've gained from that because now they have an even better understanding of the top-up system, which equally happens in our mainstream schools too. So there is that central team, there is the um, teaching and learning and the quality of provision team. There's also that quality assurance team that we have, but also that challenge of the executive who will come and give that peer support and challenge, rightly so, across both special and mainstream. It also gives us the opportunity to develop specialist SEM provision and provision for vulnerable children in our mainstream schools and challenge our mainstream peers to think about what that graduated approach as required by the code of practice really looks like for all children across the Academy Trust. Martin Bacon is the first special school within the multi-academy trust. Are are there going to be more? Can you see more schools opening up or coming into the trust? Certainly I can see more schools coming into the trust because special schools uh, currently do tend to sit alone or sit on the edge or sit within really small academy trusts and single school academy trusts. So I think there is that hope for us as a trust. We certainly are determined to extend our provision but also through our extension of appropriate provision, as I mentioned earlier, which is provision which would be on mainstream sites, but might be for those youngsters who aren't yet secondary school ready and aren't yet able to access a full mainstream curriculum, but really are not the youngsters we should be filling our special schools with. Because by filling our special schools with those youngsters, we're forcing the very most needy beyond the boundaries of the county. So actually to draw back, we need to 
almost unfill our special schools. And to do that, we need to provide a wealth of appropriate provision through our mainstream schools. And it's what that looks like that we're currently working with alongside Cambridgeshire and Peterborough so that they really think about what appropriate provision is and also what their sufficiency model is. And I know they're doing a really sound piece of work on that at the moment. And it's really good for multi-academy trust to have the opportunity to be involved in that. So I do think we'll grow. We, we already are looking at those opportunities. And I, I know that those opportunities are not in the distance. They're, they're very real and they're, they're coming straight at us. I love the idea of them coming straight at you at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> the, you, you mentioned working with local authorities. You see that as an important part of the work of a multi-academy trust? Absolutely, because it's about creating a sustainable, sufficient provision across a local area. Um, having written the local area inspection framework as, as part of my Ofsted work, I think it's really important that local authorities and local areas take responsibility for all their children. So if a multi-academy trust can be supportive, can be creative, can be the brave and bold edge for a local authority, then that would be you know, a really important partner in the development of work. So an example of that would be our appropriate provision, you know, being brave and bold and saying, okay, we'll, we'll look at that. We can identify some sites. We can think about how we would improve those sites as a trust. And then local authority, you can have a think about whether there's some commissioning power for you to commission some of that provision directly for members of communities in schools around us. That's not the model of sufficiency necessarily that local authorities tend to go to, but is one that is more sustainable because it offers young people an, a potential for immediate return to mainstream, should they be able to do that? Should they be able to access that? Um, I really see special schools as not being a one-way street. Children shouldn't end up in a special school. They should be part of an educational process and therefore young people should equally be able to grow, develop and come into mainstream provision as they struggle and go into special provision. Now, for some young people, of course, they'll stay in specialist provision for most of their educational career. But again, that shouldn't place a ceiling on what they're capable of um, achieving and what those outcomes should look like. So local authorities are a key player in this, particularly in our mainstream schools, the children who are identified as SCN support youngsters, because they remain the responsibility of the local authority at SEN support. And once all schools in a local area have got a sound graduated approach, you will get naturally better provision for children with SEN. And actually a local authority needs to be able to challenge that across a local area, irrelevant of the multi-academy trust in place. I do love the idea of a multi-academy trust being the brave and bold edge of the local authority as well. And it just, really encapsulates a very positive relationship between the two. And I, I think I'm lucky enough to work in a multi-academy trust that really has that positive relationship. And therefore, we can sometimes take those brave steps that maybe others would see as slightly balmy. When I talk about us as an odd-shaped family, it's because some of us have that bold edge and others have to hang on to the reins occasionally. 
but it works because you can take you can take challenging steps but with the safety net behind you and I think that's where the local authority can find strength in the multi-academy trusts it has in its area. So perhaps in that analogy the local authority the odd shaped cousins? <laughs> yeah oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talked about the fact that you were part of the HMI team and an inspector for Ofsted as well. Um, and earlier, you also talked about the fact that you've seen some examples of, of the best approaches for children. I know you inevitably will have seen some of the worst as well. But can you talk us uh, through a couple of the things that you've seen in terms of the best approaches for children with special needs? Yeah, I think it's really important to start that with actually even in some of the worst provisions, I've seen some cracking moments of practice. Yeah. You will always learn, even in the worst providers, you will see something that you think, actually, that is amazing. And it will be worth hanging on to that in my memory. But SEN wise, you tend to see Marmite. So you tend to see wonder or boredom. And that's really interesting for me because either children are really engaged and really inspired or they buy out because they're not able to access or because they are bored. So it's about seeing those moments of engagement and inspiration. And obviously that's backed by the new engagement model that's being brought about by the Rochford Review. And some of what I've seen was probably cutting edge back in its day. We have to remember I, I was a HMI going back two and a half, three years now. But I remember going into one provision where when I asked, did they teach any children off site, the head said, yes, yes, we've got a sweet shop down the road. And I was thinking, a sweet shop? Really? You've got a sweet shop down the road? Okay. So we go to visit this sweet shop and it's more than a sweet shop. It's a true learning environment in, in every aspect of that word. Um, the holistic needs of young people were being met by their ability to run, serve, calculate, communicate. And actually all those key skills were at the fore of what they were doing, but they were doing it in such an engaged way that children were just happy. They were having a great time learning and they'd lost, they, they didn't see it as learning anymore. They'd lost the aspect of it that might have ended up with maths being boring because actually the real life skill of calculation for those young people was just absolutely there and they were loving every minute of it and of course they didn't do their whole learning in a sweet shop that makes it sound like a special school turned into a sweet shop but different groups would run this provision but the skilled staff that were in there were the key to making it successful because no opportunities for those young people were missed during that day opportunities about banking money actually going into banks and taking money to banks something often young people with SEN don't have the opportunity to do communicating with other shopkeepers in the local area and I know that the impact it had on young people was greater than their educational outcomes for example the shop just across the way was actually a hairdresser's and got so used to seeing these young people that they worked with the school and the parents to enable some youngsters with ASC to get haircuts who hadn't ever managed to step into a barber shop. So the inclusivity of that for young people in their community is massive. 
mainstream wise, I've seen some lovely practice around um, supportive peers and the use of therapeutic approaches to engage young people who normally would be seen as behaviour problems. And that therapeutic approach really being across the board so that every teacher came at it like that. But it wasn't a secret that teachers had. It was also a knowledge of young people. So you talk to youngsters about why they would say to people, to their peers, oh, just to remind you, we walk down corridors or, oh, it's really nice when you join us on the playground like this. You hear youngsters doing the scripts that you know adults designed, but doing it in such a cohesive way that they're supporting their peers without a bat of an eyelid. And those young people, as a result, are so successful in those communities. That's really inspiring, actually. I just wonder how, Mary, we, we come to a point where we can, all of us, learn from stories and experiences like that, because they, they seem so powerful and important as well. Too important to be locked up in your head, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I think for all of us, the lesson is we need to go back to putting children at, at the middle of what we do. It's why we all came into education. I know it's why I came into education, but... I know it's why lots of my colleagues came into education. And as soon as you genuinely put the child at the centre of what you do, you um, you do naturally change your approach. We do a, a person-centred review. That's not uncommon in special schools. But actually, we've designed our curriculum, whole curriculum approach to be a holistic curriculum approach. And what that does is it talks about the child's journey. And as soon as you see young people as the centre, the person whose life journey is the important aspect, then you stop doing things that don't make a difference. You know, if it doesn't make a difference to young people, why on earth are we spending money, time and effort doing it? Because the outcomes will be poorer. So the learning for me is to just go back to the reason you came, to go back to placing children at the middle of what you do and saying constantly, so what? I spend my life saying to my staff, you want to do that, so what? So what's going to happen as a result of that? I know there was a big focus on the three eyes from Ofsted recently, but actually for me, the so what is the key because if it isn't ever going to make a difference, it doesn't matter how well you implement it, it still won't make a difference. And I think it's really important that we all go back to correctly identifying when there's a need and to doing our reasonable adjustments, so doing different to meet that need. And we keep doing different until we find the key to meeting that need for that young person with the so what being that it makes a difference to their opportunity on their journey. And actually, quite often, when you make a change that makes a difference to one child, you will discover that inadvertently you've made a difference to so many other children in that group either by them learning from watching your approach and becoming more inclusive as, as young adults, or by offering a different point of access to whatever it is you're delivering in the classroom. And I think that's always been my challenge to all teachers is, you know, how do you make a difference? Lots of us do hundreds of reasonable adjustments without even thinking about them. But we get to the point where we have to think and suddenly it becomes about a paper process or a tick 
box process rather than hanging on to that child right at the center of what it is we do. Great. Mary, the, just as we come towards the end of this, are, are there any other points that you want to particularly make before I ask my final question? I think opportunity is a great one. Um, and I think the opportunity that's not currently out there, and I'd love to see develop, and I, you know, if there's a way we can move it forward, I'd love to be a part of it, is the teacher training opportunity. There are teachers now who have really much opportunity to learn about SCN as part of their training courses. It's quite well down, but actually what you'll see often is that people want to learn about behaviour management. And I think if we saw behaviour as a communicator of unmet need, we'd turn that on its head and we'd be challenging people to give high quality training around SEN to all trainee teachers because we'd get better outcomes for young people at the end of that road. That's fascinating and, and potentially quite controversial as well. Some people would reject that idea of behaviour as a, an expression or a communication of unmet need but it's clearly something you're very passionate about. And something I wholeheartedly believe in. Yes, there will be young people who will do something strange, something unusual, something one-off. Okay, you could see that as behaviour, but if there's a consistency about the manner in which they do things, it's probably because they can't access, they don't understand, they don't know. And Looking further than the behaviour on the surface is so important because often there will be an SEMH unmet need that we don't even yet know exists. Some people will see that as a woolly liberal approach to behaviour. Knowing you, I would suspect you don't see it like that. <laughs> Anyone who knows me knows that the last thing I am is woolly. But I think it's about our response to that behaviour that adds the clarity and the depth and the, the knowledge base. That means that we look for opportunities and to educate young people about those behaviours through educational consequences rather than slap on a whole load of reward structures around children who we'd like to see engage better. And actually getting children to work through educational consequences is, is such a stronger outcome. And yeah, I'm, the last thing I am is woolly about behaviour. I am really clear about why good behaviour and why good communication around good behaviour is really important. I suspect, Mary, this is a point that we'll come back to explore again. I think it's a really interesting point and uh, as I say knowing you um, I certainly wouldn't accuse you of being woolly. My final question Mary is a question I asked every leader during these podcasts which is that leadership is a stressful activity uh, it's even more stressful at the moment as well so what do you do to de-stress what do you do to take off the mantle of leadership for a little while? As in outside of school or how I uh, manage my team to, to offer that uh, opportunity. I've never been asked that one before. Um, it's usually about you, but we could do both. Because I think it's really important to see the wider aspect of a team approach. Our, our team is very different in personalities. And as such, we bring lots of things to the fore, but we also bring lots of skills and lots of fun 
So I'm very open with my team about them having the opportunity for their for their children to see where they work. So in holidays, having young people look around the school and understanding what it is means that families have that opportunity to be less stressful. We also, as you know, um, and is often I'm the butt of jokes around it, is that I really believe in animals as a point of uh, opportunity for de-stressing and engaging. But that's for adults as well as young people. So we have a school dog. Uh, lots of schools do. We also have a school pony. I'm not sure many schools can say that one. Um, <laughs> but actually, I think that's something that will develop over time because what you see when adults engage with a dog and the copycat behaviour you see when young people engage with the pony next to an adult engaging with the pony. Everybody comes down through that stress level uh, and everybody just has that reduction in stress, which means that actually the stress you hold as a leader dissipates. Obviously, I, I still have a stressful job, but it is a job I love. And I think that reduces stress if you are absolutely determined and passionate about your post. COVID has added stress being the first ever virtually inspected school by Ofsted so that we were able to open added stress then trying to open when everybody else was going into lockdown yeah that adds stress but it's that team approach that means you will be less stressed about those beyond school my love is music I have a great passion for uh, engaging young people in music. I've been in marching bands, again, but of many jokes, for many years. And I'm still connected to a marching band these days, but I'm too old to march these days. So I tend to play in the sit-down swing band. But music is my opportunity to do something different that doesn't need me to have that head on. And I find that when I go into the area of music and I play, I... I can just while away hours without even thinking about it. So the key to a good life is music and animals? <laughs> yeah, well, as far as I'm concerned, it is, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, thank you so much for joining us. It's been fascinating. There are lots of things that you've been talking about that we will reflect on. I suspect there are going to be a number of things where people will want to know more as well. Are you happy to share your practice with other people yes of course I, I knew the answer to that but I thought I'd ask it and <laughs> and therefore uh, get it on record you, you've been absolutely fantastic Mary thank you so much uh, we've I have really enjoyed this and as I say you, you've brought up a whole load of different things and different approaches for us to think about during the podcast and that's been incredibly valuable so thank you for that you're very welcome thanks for talking to me The Askle Leadership Podcast. 